Hi, welcome to episode 8 of Reframing the Gospel. I'm Hayden Hobby, and today we're going to take a few minutes to reflect on and process the topic of last week's episode with Reverend Rachel Pierce. In that episode, I had the opportunity to talk with Rachel about the subject of worship specifically and creative work in the local church context more generally. And it was a really good conversation. If you haven't had the chance to listen yet, I would definitely recommend going back and checking that out. I'm a worship director myself, and I've been doing ministry in this capacity pretty consistently for the past 10 years or so. I'm currently working at a Presbyterian church here in Richmond, and recently published a book on small group worship called Life-Giving Liturgies. So, I have a lot of thoughts and ideas around this topic of worship. And two questions that I've always found interesting and deceptively complex are, what exactly is worship, and why do we do it in the first place? There are a number of good answers to these questions, and I find some more compelling than others. But what I find perhaps most interesting is the way that my own understanding of how to approach answering these questions has changed significantly over the years. As I've grown in my own spiritual and emotional maturity as a follower of Jesus, and in my understanding of who God is and what it means to be a part of God's family, my perception of worship and its importance has shifted in three big ways. First, in how I perceive the scope of worship. Second, in how I perceive its formational potential. And third, in how I perceive its outcome. I want to unpack all of these a little bit more, so let's start with scope. When I first started, lead started leading worship at the end of high school and into my first years of college, I understood worship as music explicitly focused on God, during which people hope to have personal encounters with God in an emotional and spiritual way. In my mind, if music wasn't involved, it wasn't worship. And this is a completely understandable way of thinking about worship, because we don't generally talk about worship outside of the context of music and singing. But over the past few years, I've transitioned into thinking about worship in a way that's similar to what Rachel described during our conversation, as a way of posturing your whole life. This shift really changed the way that I think about the scope of worship, in a very freeing but also very sobering way. If my whole life is an offering of worship to God, and not just the songs I sing in church or driving in the car, that takes a lot of the pressure off our expectation for Sunday morning worship in a really freeing way. I resonate with that a lot personally as a worship director, but it also puts a lot more weight on how we live out our day-to-day -day lives. It means that the way I interact with my spouse when she annoys or upsets me is significant. My posture and motivation while doing the laundry or taking out the trash is important, and the way that I approach Mundane conversations with my neighbor is not pointless, but actually an act of worship before God. The second big way that my understanding of worship has changed is in what I will call its formational potential. That is, the capacity for musical and liturgical worship to actually shape and mold us in some really significant and transformative ways. As a young worship leader, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about how the songs, prayers, and general flow of a service might be impacting the spiritual growth of those participating. I generally picked songs because I liked them, because I thought others enjoyed them, or because they meshed well with the theme of the service, if there was one at all. 
I believe this is in large part because I understood worship as music focused on God for the purpose of a personal spiritual encounter or moment, you might say. This understanding has changed significantly over the years. While musical and liturgical worship absolutely can, and perhaps should, be a place where we encounter the presence of God, I now believe that these encounters have less to do with specific song choice, lighting, and atmosphere, and more to do with how we, as a community, are posturing ourselves before God, and how God chooses to move. Notice that I said we there and not you, because I believe that worship we engage in on Sunday mornings should always be something that we do together as a community, rather than something that you or I do as an individual. An important way that worship is formational is in how it brings us together as a community, both locally and globally. The songs we sing and the prayers we pray together remind us of who God is, who we are, and our place in the story of God's plan to redeem and restore all of creation. Finally, my perspective on the outcome of worship has shifted substantially since I first started leading worship about a decade ago. In no dissimilar way to the first two points, as a young worship leader, I believed that the best possible outcome of worship was a powerful and moving encounter with the Spirit of God. And I want to reinforce that this is not a bad outcome by any means. A genuine encounter with the Spirit of God is an amazing and life-altering experience. But I've been engaged in this practice of both leading and participating in musical worship for long enough to know that this can't be the actual outcome that we regularly expect. So what, then, should be the outcome of our worship? I think the prophet Isaiah tells his audience pretty clearly in his prophetic poem found in Isaiah chapter 58. And before I read this passage, I need to tell you that I'm replacing the word fast, which was a worship practice of the Hebrew people and is still a practice of some Christians today, with just the word worship. So when I say worship in this passage, I'm replacing it for what's actually found in the text, which is the word fast. But in this passage, Isaiah says, On the day of your worship, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your worship ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot worship as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of worship I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call worship? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of worship I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? when you see the naked to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. So according to Isaiah, it seems like true worship should turn our hearts to those in our community who are suffering at the hands of injustice and oppression. And not only turn our hearts towards them, but prompt us to take action against these evil forces. God, speaking through Isaiah in this passage, says that the kind of worship he desires is worship that loosens the chains of injustice that gives food to the hungry, shelter to the homeless, and clothes to the naked. And Jesus reinforces the heart of God in Matthew chapter 25. Using a parable about sheep and goats, Jesus tells of a king who blesses those who cared for people in need, saying, 
Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And after this, the king curses those who did not care for those in need, saying, Truly I tell you, whoever you did not, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. In his book, The Dangerous Act of Worship, Living God's Call to Justice, Mark Laberton says, quote, Biblical worship that finds God will also find our neighbor. End quote. And this, I believe, is the outcome of rightly oriented worship. Everything from reciting the Apostles' Creed, to partaking in communion, to encountering God in the lyrics and melodies of a song, should give us a fuller glimpse of God's heart to heal and restore every broken aspect of creation. If our worship is lulling us into a comfortable spiritual slumber on Sunday mornings, rather than waking our hearts, minds, and bodies to the reality and calling of God's kingdom in our midst, then it might be time to reevaluate the posture, motivation, content, and direction of our worship. I realize that listening to everything I just talked about may have been like trying to drink from a fire hose. <laughs> I've had a lot of time to think about these complex facets of worship, and there are many other aspects of my story that I didn't mention that also deeply affected how and why I think about and approach worship in the way I currently do. I'm not trying to convince you that my way of understanding worship is the only way, or even the right way, necessarily. I believe that the grace and love of God are so great that he is always faithful to meet us right where we are, wherever that is. What I do hope is that this short reflection encourages you to think about these questions more deeply for yourself. What is worship to you, and why is it important? How have you experienced God, the church, and scripture and how have those experiences shaped your understanding of worship? And how might God be inviting you to grow and expand this vision to more closely align with his own? If you've made it this far, thanks for listening and being curious with me. I don't pretend to have all the right answers, but I think that asking questions is always a good start. So thank you again. See you next time.